Talofalava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. Coming up. These runways, these airfields, I mean, they're just, they were wiped out. Freak waves hits a U.S. Army base on the Marshall Islands, also shutting down airports. Also... Hearing that on screen, having that on a world stage is something really special. Tongan filmmakers take the Sundance Film Festival by storm. And later on... Because we all share the similar struggles, and we can connect on our struggles of all sorts of things. Kiwi musician Tikitane lights up the Cook Islands music scene. But first, Marshall Islands President Hilda Haini has been inaugurated in the presence of dignitaries from across Micronesia. Mrs Haini was re-elected on December 27th last year for a second term. Messages of congratulations have been read out at the celebration, including from the Presidents of Republic of China, Taiwan, Palau's President, and the Federated States of Micronesia's President. FSM President Wesley Semina's written message said the Micronesian sub-region remains united and solid in its actions. I would like to assure you of my strong desire to maintain and even further strengthen our relationship to mutually advance our shared interests in addressing common challenges bilaterally, regionally, and globally. Towards this end, the people of the state of Micronesia Join me in wishing you much success in your endeavours. And we'll have more on President Haini throughout the week. Meanwhile, powerful ocean waves driven by offshore storm surges slammed into a U.S. military installation in the Marshall Islands on Saturday night, causing damage and resulting in the evacuation of all non-mission personnel from the island. Flooding from the waves also hit two airports at Ailing Lap Lap Atoll, leaving rocks, coral and debris in their wake, which is likely to keep those airports closed for weeks. Other islands also reported flooding and moderate damage. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with RNZ Pacific's Marshall Islands correspondent, Guff Johnson, about the incident. Okay, so Saturday night, uh, there were uh, uh, large waves not certainly tsunami level waves, but let's say in the meter to two meter height level that rolled across a number of atolls here. And where the damage seems to be the most uh, extreme was at one of the important islands in the Kwajalein Missile Range, which is the U.S. Army run facility at Kwajalein Atoll. Uh, the island of Roy Namur, which is up in the northern sector of, of Kwajalein, uh, <clears throat> which houses some very sophisticated ballistic missile defense-related equipment, radars, and so forth. In any event, uh, they've evacuated people from the island. They did that uh, Sunday to get people off the island. Nobody seems that that nobody was really seriously injured uh, except one person had, was was hospitalized but said to be stable. Uh, but these waves just came in and broke doors down on, you know, on the dining hall. Went, I mean, just literally blew through the dining hall, through other buildings, 
uh, and flooded a big part of the atoll or big part of that island, uh, damaging, you know, living quarters, damaging the, the cafe, damaging the theater. I mean, this is a military base, right? So they've got all these different facilities. Um, and another atoll that was heavily affected is Island Lop Lop, which is nearby Kwajalein. Two of the islands there, the runways on those islands are just a total disaster, filled with rocks and coral and debris because the wave just washed up and over and carried all this junk and garbage on. And it'll take them weeks and weeks to clear that, even if they ultimately get some heavy equipment out from Majuro by ship, you know, get bulldozers out and clean it. But I mean, it just looks like a riverbed now, you know, these runways, these airfields that are used for weekly or more than weekly air service. I mean, they're just, they were wiped out. Uh, and several other islands are saying they had flooding Kili, where the Bikini people live. Uh, interestingly, Majuro here in the capital, uh, we didn't see much a little bit of inundation. There was some. And maybe that just reflects more seawalls, more protection, possibly. I don't know. Um, but but Kwajalein, Roynamore, that's where the biggest impact seems to be, and particularly since the Army decided they had to evacuate uh, about 80 people from the, uh, that island. We've heard of sort of king tides and this kind of thing in the past in in. And across Micronesia, is this is this what this is, or is is this something else? No, it, this is what's interesting about this event uh, on Saturday night is that we are in mid cycle on our normal uh, tides, right? So we had high tide was about the the big high tide for January was about. 10 days ago, and we're now building up to end of the month, beginning of February for the next high tide uh, series for a couple of days. So this is mid tide, not high tides at all, but, you know, like on the scale. Uh, uh, so it, it shows you a couple of things. One is it, it clearly was related to storm surges, like off some hundreds of miles distant from Kwajalein or from the Marshall Islands, uh, storm surges that supercharged currents and pushed waves across the atolls. Um, so that's one issue. Secondly, the fact that this could happen at a time when the tide is not high shows you that overall the level of sea, the sea level rise has continued unabated for the last 30 years. And so the levels of water are simply higher than they were many years ago. And so when you have a storm driven, uh, storm driven waves like that, just the fact that the sea level is already elevated puts us at risk on an atoll. And I want to add, that I read all the time in, in media accounts of, of atolls. People try to explain what it's like living on an atoll to people who have never been on one, right? And usually they say the atolls are, are no more, like they're like two meters above sea level, right? Well, I find very few places here that I can say are actually two meters above sea level. And I would say most places like my house where I live is about a half a meter or maybe one meter out of the water. Like when you say high tide, yeah, it's like a half a meter, right? 
we know two meters up. So you appreciate that when you're only like half a meter or a meter above the normal high tide, and then you get a storm surge, uh, that's why atolls are in a very precarious situation that's an elevated risk due to sea level rise. Now, the, the military personnel obviously have been evacuated. Um, other people in other other affected islands getting the help they need? Are they still there? Yeah. What's going on with them? Well, this is another interesting aspect of the situation is that apparently the the islands where a lot of Marshallese, you know, the, the Marshallese islands that are nearby, there's one about three miles away, uh, which is a community of about a thousand Marshallese, many of whom work at Roynamore at the base and go there every day, uh, they were not affected, or at least early reports say they were not affected. And other islands in kind of in the vicinity that have Marshallese communities in Kwajalein were said not to be affected. And I think part of it's just maybe the particular location of Roy Namur at the very northern tip of the atoll and the direction that the, you know, the waves were coming, the currents, and whereas some of the more, these other populated islands are a little south, a little farther away, so they're not in the direct impact zone uh, for the waves. So that may be why uh, they didn't feel it. But as I mentioned, Eileen Lablap, Kili, some other atolls and islands uh, very definitely were hit by uh, by the waves and suffered significant flooding. A Tolland story has made it to one of the biggest film festivals in the world, Sundance. So this one is church? Church. The two Tonga New Zealand filmmakers behind the short film Lea Tupuana, Mother Tongue, explores cultural identity and language trauma, told through a young woman who struggles to reconnect with her Tongan heritage. The film was selected out of 17,000 applications to be screened at Sundance, which boasts of launching the careers of some of the greatest directors in the world. Alicia Foon spoke with director Ve Mafileo and writer-actor Luciane Buchanan, who are both at the Sundance Film Festival in Utah, America. My name is Bea, and I'm, I'm the director of the film. And Sundance was the first festival that we applied for after finishing it. And we were just like, yeah, man, this would be so amazing if we got into this festival. Like for me, as a as a director and filmmaker, Sundance has always been the pinnacle. Um, so, you know, it was a bit of a, okay, let's just gamble. <laughs> Give it a gamble and we'll see how we go. And, um, yeah, we, you know, we struck it lucky. And um, out of 17,000 films, like, that just feels so incredible um, that we were have managed to get in and be here as well and kind of be absorbed in the in the vibe of the festival. And I guess for me, um, Luciane, I'm the writer and actor in it. Um, you know, it's one of the top five film festivals in the world. And um, what's always been attractive to me to want to be a part of it, either acting or being a filmmaker, is that they really prioritise indie films and um, with like a worldly lens. So um, they're they're not solely focused on US content. Um, 
And I don't know, it's just been the home for so many um, breakout directors who are now legends, like people like Christopher Nolan. Um, and, and this year they honoured Kristen Stewart. So she's been here for like 10 years. So it's super inspiring. And I know it's just the start for Vera and I. And yeah, we just feel so lucky and overwhelmed. Being here has kind of invigorated um, more ideas. We were, you know... <laughs> sitting with a, a wine last night being like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And I think that's come from a lot of the responses from the audiences who were like, is this going to be a feature? And we're like, wow, we've never really thought about that. Um, but we we both will continue to support each other in whatever way because we are both Tongan women in the same industry. So I'll happily work with her if I get the opportunity. <laughs> if not, I'll support her from the audience always. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think um, ahead, yeah. also Luciani and I have quite uh, similar similar things that we want to achieve in terms of elevating Tongan storytelling. And so I think that naturally, um, you know, whenever Tongan projects come along, we kind of all sort of band together as much as possible because there's so few of us. And there's so many of our stories left to tell and we've got so many kind of cooking away. So I'm really looking forward to um, future things that we can develop. Um, and it's just really awesome to have people approach us and go, hey, what's next? Let's talk. Let's meet. And that's super encouraging. Via, do you find that there is much of an appetite for Pacific stories and being in the film industry, do you believe it's a safe and accessible place for Pacific filmmakers and up-and-coming filmmakers? What's your experience been like? Well, I mean, it's interesting being here because we kind of um, feel like a bit of a minority of the minority uh, over here in um, America. Um, Pacific Islanders are under the same category as Asians. So essentially, that's the kind of... Um, basket we're, we're lumped into um, and there's only one other Hawaiian film here and our film from the Pacific region um, so it's definitely a voice that is um, you know rare in the space so I'm super excited about how this film can potentially highlight this is a space that we actually belong it's not just writer, director, actor there's camera, there's coffee maker, like all of these different departments, builders that we need to make a film happen. And I think our people just haven't realised yet that fact. And how important was it to showcase Tongan language the way that you have 17 minutes of film, but the beauty of the language and a journey as well as our generation explores what it means to to know the mother tongue. How important was that for you guys, and what do you hope people will take from this film? Well, definitely in the writing process, it, it, the language is it's the theme of the entire short, but not specifically uh, Tongan language and English. It's who are we without language, and how do we communicate without the common language? So looking at language is a, is a symbol rather than um, this is about Tongan language um, because I think that's what's so universal about this is that you don't have to be Tongan to be like oh yeah I've had that language trauma where I can't speak uh, to my Chinese family because I was an immigrant to New Zealand or wherever in the world so I think that was really important I also love hearing it on screen it, having that on a world stage is something really special and something we want to continue doing. And 
was just bringing up great conversations about how important language is to a culture. They're kind of interwoven into, you know, your identity as a Tongan. Um, and both Vera and I have had experiences not being able to speak Tongan um, and having some sort of comprehension, but um, that was the driving force why we wanted to tell the story to kind of, it was very cathartic for me writing it, and I've kind of gone to a space of acceptance of that. This is a lifelong journey. It's not going to be fixed in a year or, or, or even blaming my parents for not teaching me. It's kind of like everyone's on their own journey, whether that's te reo or Tongan, um, and just to be patient because um, we all have so many factors as to why we don't have those language skills. With this film, it transcends culture. I had a screening yesterday and a black American man came up and he was crying and just like, man, I, I fully resonate with, with you on this. An Iranian man came up and he was crying and he was like, this is my story. So this is a, like a global dilemma. It is such a universal and powerful theme. And thank you for sharing that because... Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued about how it's been received so far and it sounds like it's had a real impact. Do you believe that outside of ethnic minorities that mainstream Western cultures will see this and see the value in something like this? And, and do you believe that this is just the beginning for these kind of universal themes to be explored? Yeah, I mean, we had uh, another short film group sit behind us at the premiere and they were from all over the states. Um, one was from Louisiana, the other was from Texas, and they were like, "What's your film about?" And then I had to explain what where Tonga was because they hadn't heard of Tonga. And then I was like, "But we live in New Zealand," and they're like, "Oh, like okay, we're, but we're not indigenous to New Zealand." And they were like, "Oh, wow, this is really fascinating. I just had no idea that that would ever be an issue because I guess they might not know anyone." who has dealt with these issues. And then as soon as our film finished, um, the woman from Louisiana reached out to me and put her hand on our shoulders and she was like, that was stunning. Like, you know, so for someone who's never been exposed to those kind of topics, for her to feel something was really special. And then um, the guy from Texas um, found me on Instagram and sent me another lovely message. So... Um, I think people who don't relate to it can find something special in it as well, which is more than we could have asked for. That's so beautiful. Uh, I love to hear that. And, yeah, how can people that are listening to this see the film? Well, we have applied to um, Māori Lands and uh, the New Zealand International Film Festival, so we're just waiting on... um, uh, whether or not we got in, because you know we make we make this film for our families and our friends, so we of course we want them to um, you know it to be accessible in New Zealand. So uh, hopefully we have good news soon. Yeah. New Zealand's dynamic one-man band Tikitane celebrated his birthday week in the Cook Islands by doing what he does best: performing. The talented musician had the crowd pumping at trios in Rarotonga at the end of December. Tiana Haxton went along and has the story. The creative Imiuzo had the crowd dancing and singing all night long. It was Tikitane's first performance in the country since the COVID-19 pandemic. 
His return was highly anticipated, evident by the packed dance floor on the night. Dani himself was ecstatic to be back. It was just amazing, packed out, great energy, always a pleasure. I sometimes say it's like my superpower coming back here, recharging and seeing everyone, all the whanau and friends, had the best time. Dani has performed over a dozen times in the Cook Islands and is quite a large local fan base. He has collaborated with Cook Islands musicians such as Kahiki and Kua, which contributed to his popularity growth in the island nation. Dane says he is able to better connect when producing alongside other indigenous artists. It's amazing, love it, because we all share the similar struggles and we can connect on our struggles of all sorts of things, oppression, racism, religion, identification, our reo, our language, our culture. We all connect on that level and it's such a powerful thing. So working with local artists, great, love it so much, yeah. This was emphasised on the night when Dani shared the stage with the Cook Islands' very own P-Digs. The event was successfully coordinated by local production company Motone. Glenda Toyne was proud to see the one-man band make an epic comeback to the islands. It was fantastic. Having Tiki Tane over here is always a pleasure. He's a seasoned performer and the joy of being able to have international artists come to Rarotonga and perform here is, is just exactly what we want to do at Motone. She is looking forward to facilitating more live performances in the Cook Islands in 2024. Meanwhile, Tikitani says he greatly appreciated being able to unwind in Narutonga ahead of his summer tour in Aotearoa. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Spotify, Apple and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast we four.